When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to podcast number seven, sponsored by WordSprint. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Today's session is the second interview in the series. This is number 10, and this is a very special interview indeed. This is an interview with my leadership coach, Roberta Gilbert. Roberta Gilbert was a colleague of Murray Bowen. Now, if you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, number eight and number nine, I suggest you go and listen to those episodes to get a context about this leadership system that was developed by Murray Bowen. This is the first in a series of interviews about establishing a legacy. So Roberta's going to talk about the legacy of Murray Bowen, developer of Bowen Family Systems. Enjoy this interview. It's rich. This is Hugh Ballou, and my, my guest today is Roberta Gilbert. Not only is she a dear friend, but she's been my mentor and coach for eight years. And um, I'm going to let her tell a little more about her background and history because that's part of our discussion in this, this leadership series about legacies and people that make a difference. And, Roberta, um, I want you to know you've made a huge difference my life, my family's life, and the life of those people that I work with as a business strategist and mentor. So welcome to this interview today. Well, thank you, Hugh. You, um, I, I started eight years ago. I went to this, this seminar, ELS um, seminar, and I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that, which was three days that my wife said, I'm going. Do you want to go? And I said, okay. And I had no clue what I was getting into. As I started delving into the work of Murray Bowen, I discovered it was a, a very different way of thinking for me, and it took me a little time to get my head around it, and you were, you were patient with me, and you asked me some really good questions along the way. But let's back up. Tell people a little bit about your background. You're a psychiatrist and MD. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to know Murray Bowen and work with him. Well, I think of myself as a retired, recovering psychiatrist, <laughs> and mostly I just coach people in leadership um, now, and um, I learned first about Dr. Bowen in, in psychiatric meetings, American Psych Psychiatric Society meetings, and then I um, learned more directly about him by going to his seminar in Washington and um, But when I decided to write a book about his work, I moved to Washington so that I could, he could be my mentor. And so he was my mentor for um, 
maybe eight years. And um, so that's a thumbnail of my relationship with him. What got your attention when you studied um, his writings early on? Well, um, you know, I thought he was crazy when I first heard him because he was talking about a new theory. And I thought, well, he must be a megalomaniac because we don't, we have a theory. We don't need a new theory. We had Freudian theory, which I guess I must have thought was great. Um, but uh, then I, but one thing he would say each time I would hear him speak would kept, get my attention. And I think the first thing I heard was cut off. And um, I would take that concept home and start to work on my own cutoffs and my own family. And, and I would throw it out into my practice to see what people wanted to do with it. And those who, who started to work on their cutoffs, it, it uh, changed their lives drastically. This would be a cutoff would be somebody that I have in my family that has been important to me that I have cut off from and I don't really even think about much anymore. In my case, it was my parents. And so that's a pretty serious cutoff. Mm -hmm. And when I began to work on that, my life changed drastically too. So then concept by concept that he had, I learned this man has a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of, of helping people. Uh, a whole new way of thinking about life, and it's a very valuable way. And gradually, I could see that Freudian theory didn't even compare with it. Didn't even compare with it? Why is that? It didn't even compare. Freudian theory was um, a way of looking at the individual, only the individual. But Bowen said, in order to understand the individual, we really have to look at the whole nuclear family. And... Um, Freud wasn't doing that so much. He was doing it a little, but not to the extent that uh, Bowen was, where Bowen could see uh, what went into a relationship, uh, what made them better, what made them worse, the role of anxiety in relationships, uh, some ideas like that, which uh, Freud wasn't really concerned about. He was more of a medical doctor, uh, relationship and I mean uh, orientation and he was um, thinking about making people well he was thinking about making sick people well Bowen said um, what if people could continue to get better and better and better and better the rest of their lives and, and forget the whole wellness and, and sick model forget that what if people just worked on being better people the rest of their lives and that's indeed what people have done that have studied with them. And they are getting amazing results. Um, I last saw you at the Bowen Center over in Georgetown University. I think we're at a different campus. And that's part of the legacy of Murray Bowen. You want to talk a little bit. You were there as well with a whole bunch of other professionals. Talk about that center and how did it come about and what's the importance of that center? Yeah, he was a professor at Georgetown University. Before that, he did um, research at the National Institutes of Health, and then he went to Georgetown. Um, and um, the center, the Family Center, which it was originally called Georgetown University Family Center, grew up around him and his work, people who were interested in him and wanted to learn more about him. 
and hear more of his teaching all the time. And uh, eventually it separated from Georgetown and became its own center. It's now called the Bowen Center for the Study of the Family. It's, um, and Dr. Bowen did die. He died in 1990. Mm-hmm. And, but I got to study with him maybe eight years. Was that toward the end of his life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that had... Well, I can see that center has had massive impact on a lot of people, as as does your work. And what I enjoy about working with you, you know, it's not about you. You describe yourself as being faithful to Bowen theory, where some people have gone on tangents of their own. But you're very, very faithful to, to Bowen's intent and concepts. And actually, Bowen wrote a series of essays, and you've... You've then written some books. Tell us about the books that you've written. You've put them in the, a series of very digestible um, lessons, I, I would say, for me. And, it, and reading one book is just a whole awareness for me. So how many books do you have? And give us an over, oversight of what, what those are. Well, there are five books. The first one was Extraordinary Relationships. And that's a, a nice entry-level book for people who are concerned about relationships. It was meant for the general public. And um, the second book was meant for parents. It's called Connecting with Our Children. Um, and the third, third, fourth, and fifth were a trilogy, are a trilogy, of, for leaders. And basically, they're all the lessons of the seminar put into book form. Um, three years of the seminar put into three books. So the first year would be all about leadership from a Bowen perspective, the second book would be um, the eight concepts themselves, what he taught as eight concepts of the theory. And the third book, the cornerstone concept, is about differentiation of self, becoming more of a grown-up, I would say. And um, then I realized people had picked up, professors across the country had picked up um, the, this first book, Extraordinary Relationships, and they're using it as a textbook and um, it's not, I don't think it's a very good textbook. It's, it's written for the general public. It doesn't have the whole theory in it. Um, so I'm writing one for them, a textbook for them. And oh. that's important. Love it. When is that? Um, I hope this is a timeless interview where it's going to be heard by people throughout history. But um, do you, what year do you think that book will be released? That's a very good question. That's one question the author never knows how to answer. <laughs> okay, we'll pass that question then. <laughs> We're recording this in September of 2016. So, uh, do you uh, do you have a working title or, or of it or yet? Um, all I know is it's for young therapists in training. Good. It's um, it may be called therapist therapists thinking systems. But I don't know for sure. Well, in 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 a sense, Roberta Gilbert has established her own legacy with your you know your your entity, um, and the ELS seminars and the advanced seminars. And what I love about going, it, it like I said before, it's not about Roberta. You've really reached out and are interested in people and helping them think through um, their own situation and their own development, whatever level. And I've experienced you working with some fairly difficult, we had these group coaching sessions in the afternoon, 
And I've experienced you working very patiently with some very difficult people, and I might have been one of those. <laughs> um, and But sitting in these small groups of four to six people and observing you working with people has been a, a powerful learning model for me. I learned more by observing your interaction with them than I did when I was up there on the hot seat. And, um, you know, I don't know why I got so nervous about it, but I guess I'm, I'm an extrovert, but not really. <laughs> But um, you've created a, a, a legacy in what you've done. Tell us about what's the website for your, your entity, the Center for Human Studies, is that it? Center for the Study of Human Systems. Yeah. So it's called hsystems.org. hsystems.org. Right. And that's in Virginia, isn't it? Or, isn't that where you, or is, you've moved to Florida? The, the business part of it is in Virginia. I'm in Florida. I guess it's a center without walls at this moment. It has no boundaries, okay? It's it's it's, it's sort of like without. it's long. Love it. Love it. And then the, I, I yeah. spoke about yeah, the the, other. the um the um ELS seminar I attended. Tell us what ELS stands for and are you still doing that? ELS uh stands for Extraordinary Leadership Seminar and I'm still doing it for a couple of years yet. I may retire after that. After that, I'm going to see how I feel. I am 81 years old, and I'm thinking I I really should retire one of these years, Uh, but I I don't feel like it quite yet. I had shared with you before we went on the recording that I had some time with uh, Frances Hesselbein in New York, who uh, ran the Girl Scouts for many years, and she's um, at least 15 years your, your senior. And um, we were talking about age, and she looked at me and said, it's not the number, it's the quality of the years that counts. And I thought, whoa, isn't that a good statement? Um, yeah. Now, um, we're not selling stuff on this. This is teaching, but I want people to know about your resources. And if if you go to Amazon and just Google Roberta, R-O-B-E-R-T-A, Gilbert, you'll find a whole page that has her books listed. And there's not a there's not one that you shouldn't have in your library. And then having the essays published separately by Murray Bowen, there's a whole group of essays. It's a pretty thick book. Um, and I do with people I work with, Roberta. I suggest that they start with that one you mentioned, the extraordinary relationships, because that just kind of gives them an overview. Tell us why Bowen Systems is important for a leader. Why should they learn this? Well, I think that most books on leadership um, tell people what to do, uh, or they have a uh, method, or they have six points or something, but but I don't know of any of them really that have a a whole theory of life and how how human life fits together in, in relationship systems. And I think it's it's absolutely essential for leaders to know that because um, in any work situation, in any leadership situation where people spend time together, they do form, over time, they do form an emotional system. And that is what Bowen observed and described so accurately and so beautifully. And um, for a leader to know all about that and then to know guidelines from the theory on how to conduct self within that, within all of that emotional intensity that gets going, it's just invaluable. 
I, I don't know of any other um, work out there for leaders. Uh, maybe you do. That gets into all that those aspects. And uh, how to be a grown-up. I mean, if anything we want in our leadership, it's a grown-up adult-like person who can be calm and thoughtful and uh, um, guided by principles when the going gets tough. That's what we would like in our leadership. And this is what Bowen Theory guides us towards and, and shows us how to become that kind of a person mm-hmm. more, more and more. It's not an overnight thing. Uh, it's a gradual thing, probably the rest of your rest of my life, but a very well worth the effort, as you have said. Well, it took me about a year to really grasp the importance. It was three different sessions with you, this ELS, three days, and then working with you monthly. And, and maybe I'm a slow learner. It took me f- a whole year to really grasp because I was in that other world you described. You have to have points, tell people what to do. When really, you never ever in our coaching told me what to do. You would ask me questions and ask me, why would you do that? And what's, you know, what's the impact of that? Did you realize this? And, you know, I'd be proudly announcing something and you would say, wait a minute. <laughs> and I got busted, which I found to be very, very helpful, very helpful. Um, and I started my own leadership um, training and wrote about transformational leadership, which is part of the DNA of a conductor to create a high-performing culture. Um, the intersection for me, in my humble perspective, is that the leader is the influencer. And if we don't do what you just said, we don't generate good good influence. I mean, we're, we're a negative influence and not a positive influence. As a matter of fact, we set up problems, and then we yell at other people for, for that. Um, so I find that, that um, what I had created, which is really magical, what I had already written about created – um, learning Bowen systems, there's a there's a real fit because transformational leadership is about what you just talked about. It's equipping the leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and as the leader, uh, talk about a trickle down effect. As the leader uh, becomes more mature emotionally uh, and more principle guide principle guided, I would say um, the whole organization begins to calm down and um, a lot of the relationship junk and gunk that we have to deal with in organizations quite often, a lot of it just calms down when the anxiety from the top calms down. I have seen that happen over and over and I've seen conductors bark at choirs and orchestras and they they don't get good results. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I've sung in a few choirs as you know Uh and um I have never sung in any of yours, but I have sung in some pretty, in one very interesting one in Washington. And, you know, one thing I've noticed in all the choirs I've sung in, the the leader always barks at the choir to smile. <laughs> and are they smiling? That's the, that's the point. <laughs> and I, I, I keep trying to tell people, but they never see, I, I haven't seemed to get gotten through to any of them yet. If the leader would smile, the whole group would smile automatically, and nobody would have to bark at anybody. And that's how infectious emotions are. 
That's a great example. And that happens in church. It happens in corporate America. Oh, yeah. And they'll be singing, um, you know, this joyful, joyful music, and they'll be frowning and looking down at their music and not looking like they enjoy it at all. And so the, so the conductor, seeing that, will say, smile. Don't forget to smile when you sing. Well, if he would, or she would just smile at the group, it would happen automatically. That is a great story. I wrote a, a column for a magazine that's not being in existence now called Creator for Church Musicians. And it was the ten dumb things that choir directors say to their choirs. And one of them is, watch the director. And it's like, wait a minute. You're telling them something they already know. Why don't you give them a reason to watch you? <laughs> Rodney, Rodney Eichenberger is a teacher of conductors in Florida State. And um, he has a saying that what they see is what you get. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if the conductor would smile and make eye contact with them, that would be something they would want to look up at, right? Well, and that's a perfect example how the leader sets up a negative dynamic and then they make it worse by saying, smile or watch me. Well, wait a minute, they know that. Let's just let's do something different. <laughs> I mean, we, we do some things without thinking. Now, at one point in my life, I had a therapist that was a Freudian therapist, and I'd sit down and tell him something, and he'd say, how does that make you feel? Right. <laughs> that was a stock and trade answer. Yeah. I mean, stock and trade comment. So what you've taught me is that effective leaders, you, you gave us a quote in the advanced session that one time Bowen said, it's okay to have empathy, but you got to get out of it quickly or something <laughs> like that. So Bowen, Bowen Systems is the antithesis of, antithesis of that. <laughs> Sorry. Tell us a little bit about this thinking self and how responsible leaders manage themselves. Yeah, well, um, we've already intimated about the importance of the leader being calm. And Bowen said, um, you don't have to be perfectly calm, because let's face it, no human being is. But you, you, one should tr strive to be the calmest one in the room. So um, oh. what was your question again? Well, the antithesis of the Freudian feeling thinking and the Bowen thinking yeah. thinking. Yeah, emotional thinking as well as... It, it, so the idea being that when I calm down, I can think better. Uh, m much of the workplace problem has to do with thinking, mm -hmm. uh, solving problems, getting the work out, getting the work done. So um, what we've learned is that anxiety is never gone completely, but when it gets to a certain level it interferes with getting the work done. Mm -hmm. So, um, as, and it turns out that as I become more thoughtful, as I, be, as I turn on my thinking brain and stop worrying so much about what I feel, as I turn on my thinking brain, the feelings automatically calm down. Well, well how nice to know. Who knew, right? And how nice to know. So we have an automatic um, handle on these, on these anxious emotions, and um, we can use it whenever we want. So the leader can learn to, to be calmer. The leader can learn to think more and calm that, be calmer that way. 
As that happens, the whole organization calms down. I have seen that happen, and, and it absolutely, absolutely works. And yeah. I've seen the opposite happen way too more, way too, more, it's more frequently, way too much. Yeah. Um, uh, the, um, but our, our culture is trained in paying so much attention to feelings that uh, I think the whole organization can get off the track with that. There's people that teach emotional leadership, and I just I just don't get it. It's we we must remain in our thinking selves, and this um, this whole Bowen Systems helps me back off and reflect and think through something which is is powerful. I um I've been to 19 cities doing a workshop, as I said, and the number one issue with leaders is leader burnout, and the number two is board board lack of board performance. And so I see that part of that setup is the overfunctioning, underfunctioning paradigm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the reciprocity between the leader overfunctioning and the board underfunctioning. And that's been a, that's something I see more often with leaders is this, this overfunctioning and the anxiety, which then comes out of their overfunctioning because people aren't performing. Um, so there's a lot of, what I also like is all of these, these, these different uh, thinking systems when we think systems, all these different components mm-hmm. work together in a very mm-hmm. powerful way. Mm-hmm. Guess that's why you call it a system, right? <laughs> right. He called it a system because the people who spend uh, time together form a uh, form a unit. They form an emotional unit, an organism of a, of their own. Because what affects one affects all, all of them. Sort of like ensemble in music. You're listening and you're, you're responding to other people. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Um, I want to I want to talk about ELS. You're going to do two more years at least. Um, and I found that to be the group learning piece of that. It's very subtle, but it's very powerful. And, and there's enough time to think through because you segment each year very powerfully. Think through those those different concepts. So give us the website one more time. H www.h for human human was taken so we had to use h <laughs> h systems.org yeah and on there they can find the the seminar yes okay yeah so um i would highly recommend people look at that reading the books is great now in in the seminars i went to that of course people would rotate each year but there were clergy, both both rabbis and pastors. There were um, counselors. There were therapists. Um, there were very few people like me, which I don't like the word, but consultant type. Um, I'm more of a resultant or insultant than I am consultant. But it's people that work with, with business people. I thought we had some commonality in that um, we were all working with the same issues, which fundamentally to me was differentiation of self. How do we write our own principles? Um, is that where a person would start if they're thinking about Bowen systems and embracing it? Well, of course, uh, it, it's written for, for leadership to start there. Um, we have had a lot of business leadership. Since you've been in the seminar, Hugh, we've had even more. We have four or five every year now. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. And... Um, educational people, counseling people, therapists, uh, but it was started for the minister, for the ministry, 
for the clergy uh, at the request of the bishop's office of the United Methodist Church of Virginia. Hmm. And that's that was historically how it started, but other people have joined in. Other leadership have, have joined in. Well, that's great. I think people um, have shared their experience. And so that's a really that's a really good point. Before we leave, I um the third year um, students in the process write a paper, and I wrote mine on guiding principles. And you may remember I said my number one guiding principle is always remain calm, and my number two guiding principle is refer to number one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was uh, me being very transparent in front of you and a whole group of consummate professionals. And, and um, that was a, was a really good experience for me, getting out of my comfort zone. It was a good experience writing that paper and defining my guiding principles for me as a person uh, in a family, but me as a person who's a professional resource for other leaders in how I would conduct myself. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, differentiation of self comes from knowing and utilizing our guiding principles, correct? Yes, mainly. Mainly. Say, so differentiation of self to me is, is one of the eight, but it's, it's so important to know who we are and have that. You know, there's the fusion piece. We don't want to be fused. I, uh, I tell a story when I first moved to Blacksburg. There was a guy who said, I'm voting for Obama because I'm a yellow dog Democrat, and that's what I was taught and what I do, and he was 65. And at the same time, um, uh, Colin Powell said, I'm voting for Obama. I'm a Republican, because I'm a, but I'm making a decision based on facts. So we have somebody that's fused with their family, I think, and then somebody who's then taken charge of themselves and making a responsible thinking decision. So those are two, two different dynamics of, you know, are we making decisions based on our principles? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, the more adult-like I become... The more I refer to my, the clearer I work on getting to my principles, and, and the more I refer to them to guide me through life. For me, of course, these eight concepts are some of my guiding principles in conducting myself through life. Well, I would say, uh, in the eight years I've known you, you are very faithful to your principles, and you're very faithful to your, your mission. And it's, it's a powerful mission. Speak a little bit, as I'm going to wrap up here in a second, but people who have been through, um, what kind of impact has this had on their work? Um, we don't need to tell names, but, you know, what kind of results have you seen that, that has made you feel really like you've made a great contribution to, to them? Well, you know, um, people line up wherever I go to speak. They line up to have me uh, sign their books, and then they tell me stories about their experience with the book. But I think as far as the seminar goes, one of the most interesting ones that ever, that sticks in my mind is, um, of course, there are many, many, many stories, because it's been going now for 20-some years. And um, one of the stories was, I, I used to say, you know, if you're in a small group, a small work group or a small congregation, you do, it does form an emotional system. I'm not so sure about a big group. I'm not so sure about a big congregation or a big work group. But there would be a lot of individual 
emotional systems within a big group. I'm pretty sure of that. Mm-hmm. Like choir, the board, different committees, so forth. But um, at the end of that year, one of the clergy came up to me and he said, you know, Dr. Gilbert, I've heard you say that, but I'm here to tell you that my church is 600 strong. And when I began to work on myself, I could see an immediate effect on the whole 600 people. And he said, it does work in figure. It does have an effect. There is a systems effect even in large organizations. And I never forgot that. Wow. That's powerful. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? It is very powerful. Um, Well, we've got your website. We know about your books. I've got a personal testimony. It's been important to me. And I've gone over some of the concepts in the previous two podcasts. So if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to those. Um, As we wrap up here, any um, thing we didn't cover or is there an essential piece of information you want to share with people as a as a parting comment? I think the most important thing for people to learn is um, try to be the calmest one in the room and think it through. That would be my parting comment. And a good one it is. This is Hugh Ballou with Roberta Gilbert. Thank you so much, Roberta, for the gift of your time today and sharing your passion and your wisdom with people. Thank you, Hugh. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement, to maintain your donor base. It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. Wordsprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending Wordsprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.